you can't talk 90s X-Men comics without talking about X-Force, and uh, specifically the uh, controversial creator of X-Force, uh, Mr. Uh, Rob Leefield. Man! Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and for the most extreme book of the line, I have a an extreme co-host, and uh, this is uh, Chris Bailey, my uh, cohort over on Muratory Mondays, and... A few more things. So uh, how are you doing there, pal? How's it going, my friend? And I'm super pumped because we're doing some Rob Field man, on X-Force. And I'm ready to rock. Awesome, it's ex- awesome. It's extreme, Chris. It's, ex- it's extreme, radical, and awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, did, and, and arcade, somehow. Did you I say know. radical? I did. Rad? Oh, never Rad. mind. Keep, keep going. <laughs> no. <laughs> As I'm asking everybody who's on this show, um, I, I want to hear about your history with uh, the X-Men. Um, were you buying X-Men comics back in uh, ye old 1991? I was indeed buying some X-Men titles. Uh, it actually, my fandom actually started, well, not started. I'd say I was picking up X-Men fairly consistently, uh, consistently uh, mm-hmm. throughout Inferno. Okay. And uh, and I was sort of uh, I was sort of caught on to the entire series right from there. I didn't get every single issue, but I got quite a few of them leading up through. I was a big Burn X Men fan back in the day, so sure. a lot of that stuff was was definitely my jam. Uh, the Jim Lee stuff, believe it or not, I I was sort of out of X Men there for a little while during the Jim Lee era, mm-hmm. but um, and New Mutants, of course, you know, uh, wasn't always my favorite title. But when Mr. Liefeld came on, I was like, wait a second, something mm-hmm. drastic is happening over here. And I started to jump on board. Now, it was before the hype. It was just that I noticed this artist and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And there was a lot of yeah. art stuff going on at the time with uh, with hot artists. And uh, I took a look at this and brother, when I saw X-Force, I was all over it. Absolutely. It's and, and we're going to have a little bit of fun here with uh, with Mr. Lee Field, of course. Um, I, I think that just goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I've never had a crossword with Rob uh, on on the socials, uh, but from all accounts, he's a uh, he's a pleasant fellow. He's a he's a perfectly decent guy. He's got a deep passion and love for comics. And so I'm not going to be someone who discounts him. Uh, nope. uh, there's. There are there are a lot of fakers in the comics industry that we can that we can uh, you know poke fun at, but uh, Liefeld's not one of them. He uh, he came up a fan and uh, he got he was in the right place at the right time and brought a whole new excitement to uh, to the X Men line. You mentioned New Mutants. It's so Boy. hard to take people back to that time and uh, and just show them how exciting that was. Uh, or how on unex- how unexciting New Mutants was. I mean, before, that, yeah, that that book was basically toilet paper back in the day. <laughs> I mean, it it was it was not good, Chris. I mean, it was one it of the worst. It, I'm not going to say it was one of the worst books that there was on the shelf because it wasn't. However, it was just a you know there was nothing really that popped about it. You didn't have that yeah. buzz around New Mutants, and it took Liefeld to give this like a a shot of adrenaline. And boy, did it really! Uh, he really took this thing to the next level. Oh. Hundred percent. Yeah, he uh, pretty much informed the way comics were drawn for a number of years. Uh, and I mean, we uh, we enlightened folks in 2020 all look back and and deride it. But I mean, it was what it was at the time, and uh, what it was was exactly what we wanted. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so you think about this, it's it's a generational thing, Chris. So you think certainly. back in the think back in the day when you had Jack Kirby, 
And mm-hmm. this this may be sacrilege for some people to say, but when I think of Jack Kirby, there's a lot of parallels with Rob Liefeld. Let's be okay. honest. I mean, sure, I mean, propor- sure. proportion, classic poses. I mean, think about Jack Kirby. He was not one that had perfect proportion. You know what I Certainly mean? He not. had a set character base. You know, he had a certain poses like that, like the person running towards the screen with their hand out mm-hmm. or the shield up or whatever the case might be. You know, there was a lot of similarities there. When you compare it to Rob Liefeld, I mean, everybody wanted to mimic this guy's art. I mean, they basically told people to draw like Rob Liefeld, the same mm-hmm. as they did with Kirby. Or, sure. you know, he became the house style. So literally, this guy created the house style for Marvel over the next, you know, X number of years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, so you were you were buying when X-Force number one hit the shelves then? Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. I was I was on board the the very moment he jumped on New Mutants. Okay. And uh, and I was right on, you know, right on board to the last double size issue that merged into X-Force number one. Excellent, excellent. Do you uh do you happen to remember which uh which trading card you got with your your version of X Force number one? Mm, if I'm thinking Shatterstar. Okay, I think you're the only one who said that so far. So that's uh that's interesting. I think we've got the full set between all of us. Um, <laughs> actually, we we might not have the X Force team set, the, the team uh, card. That one I don't think has come up in conversation yet. Uh, no. So, so I've o- I've only opened one of my pre bagged X Force number one. So really, that's the, okay. that's the only one I can attest to because I thought they'd be <laughs> so valuable I couldn't bring myself to tear this thing open. It's true. It's true. It's a uh, it, this thing went gangbusters for about ten minutes and then uh came back to reality <laughs> and uh, that's just the way it's been ever since. Uh, now this whole era here, not you know Rob Liefeld notwithstanding, gets derided for a lot of things. Uh, the gimmicks here, the the two main books of this uh, of this uh, month here, we have variant covers on X Men and we have a, tra- a polybag trading card on X Force. I mean. Again, we can look back on that now and uh, talk about how yeah, just how silly it was and how the, the industry was focusing on the wrong things. But back then, that was a big deal. Back then, it, it was a value-added sort of thing. It's not the way it is today. Absolutely, uh, it was. It was. It was a one-off. It brought you to the dance. It was something that stood out on the shelf that wasn't the norm. Right absolutely. now, right now, the norm is just having one standard cover. <laughs> <laughs> right or, or not the not the norm that's the, actually a, that's, that's the, actually a treat exactly yeah that is the exception to the rule is having just Absolutely. one oh, man God. now speaking of the variants uh did you buy x-men volume two number one off the rack oh of course i did uh now those were actually not as uh not as available in my hometown believe it really? or not really X-Men number one, I had to do a little bit of digging to figure oh, wow. to find those things, believe it or not. Now, of course, this day and age, you know, <laughs> they <laughs> they line they line the streets with uh, with X Force <laughs> with uh, X-Men number one. They do. But uh, X-Force number one, on the other hand, was one of those ones that I had to grab up right away because those things were were hot as potatoes. Wow. wow. Do, you, do you remember which cover you got for X-Men number one? Uh, for X-Men number one, uh, hmm, do, 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 Magneto, I'm thinking. That's amazing. So many people have said Magneto, and that's like the last cover I think of when I think about the four of them. It's very oh, strange. My my favorite one is the team cover, of course, where they're sort of oh the wraparound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that that's my favorite. That's the one I got. But I think that I started with Magneto. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, do you have any uh, any other stories of buying comics 
in this era where things are just crazy, things are popping, hype is everywhere. Hype is everywhere. We had we started with zero comic shops in my area, okay? Now okay. the ni- the 90s brought in several different comic stores and I lived in a small town, man. I like we were not in a uh, a city environment at all. And suddenly we had two comic book stores. Mm-hmm. Now they obviously they were they were price gouging. They didn't even have the apocalypse upon them, and they were price gouging all <laughs> over the place. So anything that was labeled hot from a Wizard magazine or from a Overstreet price guide ended up on these shelves with a with a gross price. So if you were a newsstand guy like I was, you really had to be smart and you really had to know your territory going around. So I generally got my comics from a pharmacy and a drugstore. Two mm-hmm. different places. Mm-hmm. And I knew the staff that was there. And one lady, her name was Gail. God bless you, Gail, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I, I used to literally give her my pull list. And I'd say, hey, oh, wow. I, I'd like this Batman and X-Force number one is coming. Would you grab me one? And every single time, I didn't even have to go to the rack. I went to the counter. Hey, you got my books? And she'd bring out this big stack of books, let me thumb through them. And I just bought them all. It was it was a wonderful thing. That's amazing. But, I've never heard of that at a new at a uh, at a newsstand before at a non comic shop. You gotta know your people, Christopher. Yeah, it's it's who you know. Absolutely, it is great. Wow. Okay. That, but, that's, but the that's ki- but awesome. the kiosk the kiosk thing was what really. Uh, so I worked at a mall as a security. Mm-hmm. Uh, security guard or whatever, heavy on the maintenance. So I basically, you know, clean windows and collected <laughs> lottery tickets. That's basically all I did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was a kiosk in the middle of the mall, and I got to know the guy pretty well that was there. But uh, once again, it was, a, it was a price gouging thing, but he was heavy on Valiant, and he was heavy on X-Men. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Th- those were the things that really drove his uh, his business. So when X-Force number one came out, of course, this, this pre-bag thing was just all over the place, and the front of his stand for sure. Sure. Mm, how about that? That's 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 wild. I love hearing stories about just a more lively, uh, like sort of comics market where, like, the comics are actually the focus of the comics industry and the market where it hasn't been that way for a very long. Even you know, this is 1991. If we jump ahead like six years, comic shops look a hundred percent different. Yeah, and a, lo- it's, a lot of these, a lot of these things, like. Comics actually started a little bit further than the the other collectibles because all of a sudden, as comics gained popularity, of course these these stands somewhat converted into, uh, you know, half card stands and different things sure. like that. So hockey cards, baseball cards, different things like that became popular along the way as well. You know what I mean? So it was basically the start of a collectible era. Yes. The night the 90s was was a boom period of like pretty well everything. Anything that you think that someone could resell or sell again, people were all over it. And variants oh, yeah. and insert cards and any gimmick you could come up with was everywhere and man, I I was digging it at the time. I didn't know any better. That's true. I was right there with you. I, <laughs> even now when I come across like something with a with a foil cover or something or something that might have a card in it, it's I'm just drawn to it, and it's uh, it, it actually it just feels like you're getting something more. Um, it's just those little niceties that, even even though that's what eventually made me take a break from comics was all the gimmicks. There is a a charm to them. There is a there is an allure, and there is a a feeling of value in them. Where today it's like, well, here you can have the black and white cover and pay five times the price. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or here's the blank one, and you can pay double the price. There's no value there. That's just a picture. 
<laughs> so it doesn't exactly. really do much for me. One thing that was really annoying about the entire thing, though, is you had a lot of bandwagon jumpers. You know what I mean? Certainly. So, so suddenly, all of a sudden, you're competing at the rack for with some guy who never collected a comic before in his life, yeah. but he knew that number ones were going to be worth something. So, you know, they'd go and they'd buy up all the number ones. So it became a little bit of a chase. And that started with Superman number 75 and worked its way downwards. But uh, yeah. I really got shafted buying Superman 75. I spent an, <laughs> an ungodly <laughs> amount of money to get that black bag thing. But uh, there was a little bit of buzz around X-Force and the X-Men as well. But it just it, it exploded from here, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we're going to be covering three issues today, um, although X-Force number three is the only one that came out with an October uh, October 1991 cover date. Since we're so early to the you – know, since we're so close to the start of this volume, we figured we might as well cover one, two, and three just to get everything here, get hit the ground running, and, uh, and get us up to speed, especially since, you know, three picks right up where two left leaves off. So we might as well – just do all three. So uh, we'll do all I three. I love it. <laughs> it won't be three every month. Uh, next month it'll just be issue four. Well, actually, it'll be issue four and that uh, that Spider-Man issue too, because there is a there is a crossover. But uh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, <laughs> a loose crossover, we'll call it. <laughs> it's the sideways crossover. Oh, yeah. We, we're gonna have to hold those books sideways, which is gonna be a lot of fun to read. Um, you want to talk us into uh, X-Force number one? Sure. So when you come to X-Force number one, you're talking about the beautiful wraparound cover. Let's start with that, baby. Sure. So I think uh, it's it, the, basically the cover is iconic. So Absolutely. it's number one. The first thing that sticks out to me is that it's a dollar fifty U.S. and two dollars Canadian. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marvel, right away. <laughs> Shaft and the Canadians, uh, and boy, what a beautiful wraparound cover! So it's got the entire team. It's got a massively hulking, absolutely <laughs> massive-looking cable. I mean, yes. he has he has like shoulder pads like you've never seen and he's with as wide sh- as he is tall yeah. <laughs> he is his arms are metal he's jacked he's barely holding this massive gun he's got that weird hair which we'll discuss a bit later on <laughs> and the straps just to keep his shoulder pads in place are just absolutely massive oh, picture wild. Picture a belt on somebody who, like, weighs 9 million pounds. This is what you need <laughs> to go around their waist. <laughs> and, of course, you've got all the rest of the cast. You've got Boom Boom. You've got Feral, which looks like every single 90s character that uh, Rob Liefeld <laughs> and Eric Larson have ever made in their life. you got Domino, Warpath, um, Shatterstar. Oh, the the uh, poet laureate of the group himself there, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Furbage. <laughs> But anyway, I I dug this team and this cover. It just stands right out. It's like a purpley oh, yes. blue thing, um, just beautiful. This this is this is wall painting at its best here, my friend. For sure. And of course, start with the team. So we're talking right on the 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 captain of the book, the CEO, Mr. Rob Liefeld. You've got Fabian Nissiet Nissieza on the words, we'll call it. Chris Eliopoulos on letters. Brad Vacata on color and art. You got Bob Harris, baggy eyes, and our good friend Tom yes. DeFalco. Hey, do you know what book he created, Chris? The editor in cheese himself. Uh, what was yes. it? Uh, DP Seven. Oh, he created he created Kickers. <laughs> oh, yes. yes, and he's known as the Baggy Boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God bless him. But anyway, 
That is that. So we'll move on. I mean, when you when you think about buying this particular book, I don't know what you thought, but you know, did you have any trouble buying this book? Like, what what did you see back in the day? Who were your go to artists during the boom period, Chris? Um, probably uh, once I got. It's funny because I I discovered the X Men about a year about a year after this when I got okay. into them. Oh yeah. And of course, I gravitated toward you know Lee and Liefeld, and they were gone. <laughs> They they were just turning in their last issues at that point. Um, I believe the first X-Men book that I bought off the shelf was uh, was drawn by one of the Cuberts. Oh, uh, yes. Adam or Andy. Um, that was X-Men number 13. But uh, like right. The issue before that is, I think, Jim Lee's or the two issues before that is Jim Lee's last issue, I believe. And so the the creators that I came on like that I was expecting, they were gone. Um, so. Uh, in in trying to track down the old X Men and X Forces, the uh, you know the dozen or so issues that I'd missed, um, the only challenge really was because uh, there was no scarcity. They were everywhere. Oh no, they were. <laughs> they they were yeah, like you said, they 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 could line they could line the uh, you know a tower with them, but it's uh it was the prices because they were back issues, they were bagged, and they were. At the very least, five dollars each. And these books were less than a year old at this point. But uh, there was such a demand, even though there was no shortage, there was still such a demand that the uh, the shops could justify marking them up, you know, three or four times the, the cover price. And I'm pretty sure I paid five dollars for the, for this book, which oh, is, boy. Uh, is you'll insane. never get your money back. <laughs> no, no, I, I will be I will be you know kicking myself for that until the day I die. Because uh, right at this point, I could probably buy about 20 copies of it for five dollars. But uh, but yeah, back then it was uh, different times, right? <laughs> oh boy, was it ever! And boy, does this start out with a bang. So we actually start in Antarctica, mm-hmm. and our team, the good old X Force, the Extreme X Men, they're tracking <laughs> the uh, the MLF, the Mutant Liberation Front, and mm-hmm. has brought the team. To snowy Antarctica of all places. Now, one thing that stands out to me, Chris, is the uh, the verbiage that start this book. So you know what you're getting when you uh, read the first words of this book. It says, <laughs> Antarctica, June 4th, seven silent figures stand motionless, brooding, alone with their thoughts. And the weight of the road they've chosen to follow. Once their children, delighting in a dream. <laughs> Oof. Good Lord, this is X Force. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. And it's it's worth uh, noting here that uh, these pages are are famous for a few reasons. Not only the uh, the poet laureate dialogue, but uh, the <laughs> fact that uh, these first few pages are almost like completely swiped from uh, George Perez's pencils from New Teen Titans thirty nine. Hey, this it's... is Rob Life. He does not do that. Chris. <laughs> Shut your mouth! Ow. Complaint withdrawn. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and they invade a compound that's held by the Mutant Liberation Front, and the team leaps into action. Then, of course, as X Force does, they easily, easily dispatch these guys right away. Oh, yeah. You've got uh, Boom Boom going crazy here, launching bombs. You've got uh, Cable here blasting with his massive weaponry. 
You've got Warpath just tossing people around like ragdolls. I mean, and of course, Feral doing her thing. There's an actual panel <laughs> that shows Cable, and it's just him and Shatterstar and Feral. And, you know, he's got this weird gun that looks like a collection of Lego blocks that are <laughs> pieced, together, pieced together by a five-year-old. It's, it's that massive. And funny thing when you're talking about consistency of art, like uh, there's no consistency whatsoever no. in the art. Cable's gun changes 500 times in one. <laughs> And uh, same with his equipment. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That, that's another story. And, of course, <laughs> they run into some of the crappiest villains you've ever seen in your life. They are piecemeal. They run into Forearm, Kamikaze, Wildside, and Reaper. Now, of course, yeah. they sadly engage in battle with the newly formed X-Force. It doesn't work out well for them, i got to say, because these guys are uh, are ready to go, especially Shatterstar, who says... Come to play, buffoon. Come to die. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So Reaper attacks Shatterstar and ends up with a severed hand right out of the gate. And, yeah. I mean, this X-Force, you know right away that uh, this is not how uh, how the old guard used to play. These ain't your daddy's mutants, brother. For, forearm, of course, is dispatched by Warpath, who just comes to Cable's rescue. But Cable now, he's irritated that these squabbles, you know, they're pointless. He came here to stop Strife. Now, meanwhile, we see our good friend Strife watching on from a control room because he's like that. You know, he ain't going to, you know, waste his time dealing with these little pawns, the X-Force. He's watching from a control room and he's watching the heroes descend upon him, taking down all his men one after one. And, of course, Liefeld tends to draw Strife. I mean... He just looks like a giant metal samurai. I guess that's the best way to put him. I mean, he's... A very pointy samurai, yeah. Yes, I mean, it, it, it makes no sense. Like, he could literally do nothing. He's got, like, literal... <laughs> he's got spikes coming out of his, uh, his... His shoulders. His he's got thighs. this giant helmet, which is a series of... it. Picture Wolverine's... Um, headpiece you know with the with the 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 big the, the large ears. yeah yes and then he has a set that points down and then he has one <laughs> two three extra sets of six seven no seven extra sets of metal <laughs> wolverine <laughs> type gear on and he had these giant giant cup like silver boots which yep. defy description i mean oh my god and anyway and who's standing next to him oh <laughs> The most beautiful, beautiful <laughs> woman that Rob Liefeld has ever drawn. You really have to see this lady. Her name is Thumbelina. Yes. And boy, how do I describe her? So she is. She number one, she's a small. She's a small person, a little person. Yes. Who is morbidly obese. Indeed. And she looks like she has Cable's head with purple hair. <laughs> yes. And this is one ugly troll of a woman. <laughs> It's just god awful. It looks but, like a uh, plum with Cable's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so <laughs> with Thumbelina at his side, he knows that these guys are coming for him. So he initiates the ultimate. He he starts the destruction sequence, of course, self destruct. So he sets it for <laughs> to begin at ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, ten minutes. Jeez, you could take a long walk off a short pier in that one, my friend. <laughs> and we see the clock countdown as, you know, the team, especially Farrell and Wildside, go toe-to-toe as the detonation clock ticks away in the background. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where everything is just – just time is escaping them. Now, 
we get to see good old Farrell here, and you can tell Rob Liefeld really, really loves Farrell because he, you know, mm-hmm. he goes out of his way to showcase her in almost every issue. Um, he's got a love of drawing that type of hair. So everything is based around Wolverine and claws and those large things on your head. And I mean, God bless Farrell. I mean, she is, uh, she's all that in a bag of chips right there in one small package. Yeah. I, I was going to say are Farrell and Wildside fighting cause they have the same haircut. Cause they, uh, they have these massive and how, how would you, how would you describe the hair? Um, it's like. It's like Wolverine or Beast, you know, those like big wings. On, it's like yes. parted in the middle and just sticking. It's like Deathbird's, you know, headpiece. Yes, it looks. It looks like if someone bought brought a straw broom and stuck it behind your back and like opened it up. <laughs> That's what both of these people look like. But it's absolutely and, true. And one one of the funniest scenes um, is that Pharaoh grabs him by the jaws and by cries. The mouth. <laughs> yes, and it's this weird, weird-looking panel, and he's got Feral by the mouth, and not Feral by the mouth, Wildside by the mouth, and he's going hack, H-A-C-K, and she goes, what's, and she's got this weird, like, the way they do her, her, bubbles her lettering, are weird. Yeah, yeah, her bubbles are weird, it's like she's talking in, what's the matter, cat got your tongue? And she goes, oh, yeah, she does, and then she hauls it out of, it looks like she hauls it out of his mouth, but just <laughs> snaps it back. I think yeah. she just... She pulls on it and then it recoils back in. Ouch. Oh. Man, oh man. Anyway, out of the blue, we're met by one of Strife's little uh, cronies, Zero. Ooh, mm-hmm. look at that. That's an original name right there. Uh, who appears from a portal and quickly drags Wildside out of danger. Thank God for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the team laments that the, uh, the mutant limeration... Um, Front are starting to retreat like whip puppies, and boy, do they ever! They run like scalded <laughs> dogs, my friend. <laughs> they run into the main man himself, Strife. Now, what does Strife do? He he he, uh, he gets the hell out of Dodge. Yep, <laughs> that's what he does. He ain't hanging around waiting for these tools. And Cable is uh, Cable is just letting him have it. He's got his blaster up, and the interesting sound effect of poom poom poom. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Strife going through the uh, through the portal. It's just like his arm and his leg sticking out. It's like whoop. <laughs> yeah, he's going so fast, and even poor Zero there. Now Zero is an interesting character. So he's completely white. Yep. He has no face, but he has a little one circle, almost yep. like a cyclops, and that that's his entire costume. So that's his whole look. Yeah. I think Liefeld spent way too much time doing Cable's hair and his shoulder pads, <laughs> and he never had time to do anything with poor Zero. <laughs> But anyway, with their prime target evading capture, the team themselves, um, you know, they talk about missing beaming themselves to the safe confines of their ship as they zip away and continue to hunt elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What else is going on in the book, Sheehan? Well, we go to an unnamed city and we meet Sunspot and friggin' Gideon. Uh, oh. no. <laughs> Yuck. Sunspot, he's a, another alumni of the New Mutants here, and uh, they're engaged in a combat training exercise, which uh, you almost have to see to be to believe here. Um, uh, speaking of hair, uh, we were talking about the the odd styles of hair here. Uh, Gideon is uh, he might be like a, a, a member and the president of a certain club because <laughs> his <laughs> hair is whack. It's like he's got like the Benjamin Franklin thing going in the back, but then like a samurai ponytail on top of a bald head. It's it's really odd. I, I yeah. I don't, even, I don't even know how you do it. It's like the 
It doesn't. It doesn't even make sense. Like there's, it defies, there's no, Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like he's got the whole Hulk Hogan horseshoe going on in the yes. back. But then he's got this giant tuft of hair. Just imagine what this looks like when he puts it down. I mean, this right? must be the worst looking hairstyle. <laughs> There's receding hairlines, but this guy makes, uh, I mean, Nicolas Cage look like he's the president of hair club for men here. <laughs> yeah, As these two are fighting, uh, they're, they're, they're in a combat exercise here. Gideon comments on the maturity of Roberto's skill set. And uh, Roberto picks up on trouble elsewhere, and the two decide to, uh, you know, rush off to the scene of the crime, find out what's going on. Now, back in Antarctica, we see the after effects of the decimated mutant liberation compound, and it's here that we meet G.W. Bridge. (laughs) Okay. Now, um, okay, now G.W. Bridge is a, uh, is a character, a a classic Liefeld creation, uh, to say his body is massively out of proportion would be a disservice to people with massively out of proportion bodies. Um, <laughs> he has pouches, of course, shoulder pads, yes, massive guns, check. He's pure 90s shock here. And the way he is posed here, he's standing here and he's watching everything go on here. And uh, you ever have like a an action figure that you could spin at the torso? Yep, all the G.I. Joes used to be able Certainly. to do it, my friend. Now, if you spin one of them all the way around so the butt's in the front, <laughs> that's GW Bridge. He actually has a front butt. It's very, very disturbing. He has so front bum going on right there, he 100%. Does. He does, and he lets us know that Cable and his X-Force must be stopped for all the destruction they caused. Now, we leave. Now, instead, instead of which, which defies description, because you're talking about the mutant liberation front, yep. clearly of he's he's aware of, but yet he's going after X Force for causing trouble, of course. Right? Yeah, for, yep. for rattling the cage of the bad guys. <laughs> uh, now, the good guys, we we meet them back at the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, they're taking a timeout, and uh, Cable works to repair their ship. Now, Cable and Cannonball chat about Cable's need to bring strife to justice. Cable talks about a friend of his, uh, Tyler, almost like a son to Cable, but not exactly, who was seduced into the MLF by Strife only to find himself perish. Mm. He lists, yeah, he lists the blame to uh, to Big Silva and uh, says it's yet another reason why he wants his revenge. Domino comes down. She interrupts the conversation, and Cannonball kind of like slinks away. He's like, eh, I don't want to be part of this. Uh, she confides to Cable that about when he, when is he gonna you know fill in everybody in on his actual background, his identity, you know, and even maybe tell them about his telekinetic mutant ability, because uh, Cable at this point was completely shrouded in mystery. We didn't know thing one about him. He was just the bulky old dude who uh, took over the New Mutants back in the day. And they accepted him pretty uh, pretty pretty freely without too. question. Yeah, yeah. This guy appears out of nowhere. You get you get no address. You don't know where he's from. You don't know <laughs> what future he's from. You know he's a mutant. He's That's got all it. these powers. But hey, <laughs> won't you be my leader? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> let's go <laughs> killing mutants. <laughs> We're gonna be the proactive team <laughs> for for you know the first couple issues. Um, now Cable cuts Domino off. Uh, he says uh, he says he'll tell them what they need to know and nothing more. Meanwhile, we head off to New York City and we're in one of the uh, the, the old Twin Towers. Uh, Gideon and Roberto are there for the uh, Jenkos meetings. 
Now, while they're they're there, they're introduced to Ariana Jankos and another uh, large black-haired bearded individual that Roberto instantly recognizes as a terrorist. We recognize him as well. His name is Black Tom Cassidy, and uh, he's an X-Men villain, and he's also the cousin to Banshee of the X-Men. Roberto is about to take him out, but he's stopped out the gate by Gideon, who calms him down. He says, hey, you know, stop your attack and we'll go th- go to the boardroom uh, despite your concerns here. We'll get everything settled here. So uh, while cooler heads prevail, Black Tom informs them that uh, they'll be part of a money extortion scam. And for at least the moment, they're now his captives. So sorry that was, about that. That was weird. Roberto. You think that um, – I mean you take, you take a look at Black Tom – one of the most ridiculous looking oh, villains yeah. you'll Go ever for. see. Oh yeah, he's got this. So how can I describe him? So he's got this large jumpsuit with the high neck collar, of course. Big you know, sim- similar to a Dracula type thing. He wears these giant red boots. He's in an entire blue suit, and he's got this little shillelagh. Yeah, shillelagh, like a very small baseball bat, spotted. <laughs> which he uh, and he's got this weird accent too. I don't know what it, what it is with this guy, but he's an odd villain. And I don't think that uh, that Gideon <laughs> or or his good buddy here should be uh, either bit concerned about this guy whatsoever. But apparently they're they're okay with being captive. So whatever. Yeah. And it's great when he when he said you know we have a uh, we have like Tom telling them that they're his guests and they're they're his hostages and the the faces on Roberto and Gideon they're just like duh. We're captives. <laughs> just, their mouths are agape. They've got no pupils. It's classic stuff here. It's uh, pretty great. I don't know what the deal is with the no pupil thing on both of those folks. It's like, weird. That, yeah. Like, is does that even pop up anymore? Like in I, the book? No, no. This is just an artistic thing. I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's just maybe he forgot to put them in, or thought they look cooler this way. I don't know. <laughs> Um, now we wrap up uh, to in Quebec, Canada, where G.W. Bridge is reminded by a video conference by Nick Fury. This is not the Samuel L. Jackson version. This is the real one uh, that he must stop Cable and his ragtag group of kids. Old front butt signs off from Fury and he knows <laughs> what he has to do. He picks up the phone and reaches out to General Clark and he says that it's time to bring out Weapon X. Oh, Wolverine is coming. All Wolverine right. must be coming. Absolutely. Oh, man, Weapon X. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. This, be this, guy, this sold me on issue two with Weapon X. I bet. Wolverine, of course. <laughs> now, now this panel, the the last page of this should be studied. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they always talk about Rob Liefeld's Captain America, you know, yes. being so the out of proportion. Cap. Yeah. The large, massive chest and the arms and all that stuff. But nobody has seen the likes of the misproportioned arms of G.W. Bridge at the end of oh, X-Force number one. Oh. It is so out of proportion. He looks like the uh, the fat girl at a fair who just got <laughs> too much weight on in the, in the bottom portion and has these massive arms and they don't fit on his body. Say, for example, you had an action figure, uh, you know, a set of action figures and you broke them all. So you smashed apart six or seven different action figures, and you tried to piece them together, and all the wrong parts were in the wrong places. This is what G.W. Bridge and his front bum looks like here. <laughs> it's true. Oh, boy. He yeah. is bizarre. And, and like, a, look at his ending. shoulder pads. Look at his oh. shoulder pads compared to his neck. And he's got this weird thing. It's almost like one of those donuts you wear at a uh, on an airline. It's you true. know what I mean? Yeah, like what? Like. He's got these – not only does he have a million pouches, but he's yes. got this weird neck thing going on. It just – I don't know. It's it defies description. Strange. 
It does. But he's he's okay. calling in the big guns. He's calling in Weapon X. So boy, mm-hmm. people were excited to see issue two on this one. I bet. Man. You you wanna you wanna talk us into uh into issue two? Well, certainly. Uh, X-Force number two, cover dated September 1991, called The Blood Hunters. Now, ideas and pictures, again, by Mr. Rob Leefield, man. Mm-hmm. We got Fabian Nicienza, who's on the words. Chris Eliopoulos, over on letters. Brad Vacata, over on colors. Bob Harris is the editor. And Kickers, Inc. himself, the chief, <laughs> the head cheese in charge. <laughs> Mr. Thomas DeFalco is your uh, your editor, sir. So that is your creative cast. Now, the cover. Oh, boy, the cover. So guess who's on the cover? We got, the cover proclaims we got Deadpool. Now, that would sell an issue or two uh, this day and age, I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. But uh, back then, what, what was, you know, what did Deadpool amount to back in the day? Not a whole heck of a lot. Not a heck of a lot. Exactly right. Nobody cared. Nobody thought everyone's, you know, uh, saucy murk was anything to worry about whatsoever. So <laughs> what do you think of the cover here? Well, um, you know, up until a, a few years ago, it was a 25 cent bin fodder. Uh, I remember seeing it a lot in there. <laughs> um, you know, that's of course before we all decided we loved Deadpool. But uh, it's a, it's an okay cover. It's not a bad cover. Um, nope. So the cover basically is it's a giant X. Uh, in the background, the uh, the open portions are all colored in, and you get to see the different characters of X Force, mm-hmm. and you get to see GW Bridge, and then you get to see a new character, you know, a guy, another guy with giant silver arms, a ridiculous uh, ridiculous costume, and he's got Deadpool on the ground, and it looks like he's ready to finish him off. Mm-hmm. He made a big swipe at him, so it's called the Blood Hunters. But anyway, the cover proclaims that Deadpool's back, even though nobody cares, and he's been. <laughs> This high-collared fella, we're about to meet him very, very soon. So, you know, we open up with the with the same high-collared guy. He's unnamed at this point, and he's hanging out at Port Menier Shipyards uh, Upyards in Anticosta Island in Quebec, Canada. That's my hometown. In my home, not my hometown. What am I talking about? My home country. <laughs> Wait a second. Is Quebec part of Canada? We don't know. That's another. Hmm. That's another story. Any Quebecers out there? Let us know. If you're still a part of Canada, let us know. We, we'd like to know. Even <laughs> even us Canadians want to know this. <laughs> Uh, unsurprisingly, of course, he's confronted by dun, 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 Deadpool. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they begin doing what they always like to do. They like to fight. And, of course, one of the things that is cool about this is that um, you really see, like, I know a lot of people get uh, get credit for the latter Deadpool and, you know, the comedic one. But, you know what, Liefeld really has his uh, his footprint put on this. So a lot of sure. people that take credit for modern-day Deadpool, when Liefeld says that he created this character and even the comedic streak we know now, you see signs of that right here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can see why he 100% takes credit for everything when it comes to Deadpool. <laughs> everything. <laughs> but he's engaged in a fight against Weapon X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wolverine ain't coming in this book. We have a brand new Weapon X, and his name is Kane. Kane, good old Kane. So if you're hoping for uh, for a Wolverine guest spot after uh, you know GW Bridges cliffhanger last issue, we got some bad news for you, mm-hmm. brothers. It's yep. gotta be Kane. <laughs> Kane. Kane. <laughs> no, it ain't that Kane either. I, I, I wish and pray to God it was actually wrestling Kane, but it's not. It's a much spazier, metal-armed, stupid-looking Kane. <laughs> 
and he's uh, he's about to go toe to toe with our good friend Deadpool. Now Deadpool does some his you know his classic snark, <laughs> mm-hmm. and with our new uh, Weapon X, Mister Garrison Kane. Ooh, imagine you can even have like a better name. <laughs> was was he was he used to team up with uh, with Mister Trevor Murdoch? Was that? I don't, I don't think that was him. Is that is the Garrison Kane? Was that the guy who used to, <laughs> used to tag with him? Close, close, close. Because he's same. He's the same deal as the, the same type of punching bag. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the captions are coming all from uh, Kane's inner monologue, and he's high on the phrase "Get into the groove." Oh man, oh. he's a Madonna fan. He <laughs> into the groove. <laughs> What one of the and this battle I got to talk about this this uh, this battle we're seeing here it is one of the it looks like it's a Cirque du Soleil battle because you have Deadpool doing a nice high kick you know with someone oh, yeah. who's a who's a ballet he just gives them this like giant kick like with with such with such beauty and form you, yeah. yes and then you got Kane who delivers a kick from a leg that apparently comes out of his shoulder. <laughs> It is the weirdest, weirdest fight you'll ever see. And, I mean, uh, one of Liefeld's signatures is, uh, you know, a character punching, you know, jumping in the air and mm-hmm. just punching downwards and the character flying out. And we get to see this on full display here with, with oh, Kane. Yeah. I, I think he really put, you know, a lot of effort into Kane. I really think that he wanted him to be something that people would like, but uh, I, think I so, don't yeah. think so. No. Then you've got Deadpool, who hates on my country. He said, I hate this country. I've always hated this country. I hated Department H. I hated the Weapon X program. And I hated you, you dirty nose, prepubescent punk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well done. (laughs) Well done. Now, while Kane stands triumphantly, uh, he's confronted by good old uh, front butt, Mr. G.W. Bridge. (laughs) Now, Bridge tries to recruit him. Of course he does. To assist with the shield mandated hunt for good old Cable. Now Kane knows Cable, you know, because of all his all mysterious characters seem to know one another. Yeah. And he declines his offer. He's not joining the inner circle, man. He ain't having no, no. part of this. And during the chat, Deadpool, of course, <laughs> manages to slip away in the background, which is classic Deadpool. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, you want to you want to take us back to the Adirondack Mountains, my brother? I certainly do. We go back there, and uh, Cable has concocted a training scenario for X Force. Now, this is going to be fun. <clears throat> now, no, no, hey, hideous. His big idea is that he's going to pit the entire team against Feral. You know, Rob's favorite here. Now, uh. Boom, boom, Miss uh, Tabitha Smith here. She's got some new glove gimmicks that allow her to launch her, you know, her time bombs. Uh, so she's uh, sure this whole exercise is just completely in the bag here. Uh, Cable tells her and the rest of the team, yeah, don't be so cocky. Now, Warpath and Cannonball, they head into the woods together in search of Catgirl, only to find themselves ambushed. Feral hops right onto Sam's back while he's cannonballing and steers him directly into James's chest. So there's two X-Forcers down. I do like that. That was that was well done by That was uh, very well done. Pharaoh. So they're Absolutely. basically she's she's basically toying with people, making sure that, you know, playing off their strengths and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. boy does he uh she she gotta take out the big guy first. So Warpath, the only way to take him out is by driving cannonball right into his right guts. Into his oh. chest, yeah. Now next Feral decides to attack Tabitha. She manages to get behind her and then use her vaunted glove gimmicks in order to shoot bombs right at cable. So uh <laughs> There's two more X-Forcers down. Can I make a comment about Boom Boom? Certainly. 
So every single character in this book, with the exception of Pharaoh, the all the other ones have, you know, tons of pouches, okay? Sure. So the one who has to throw little bombs has absolutely zero pouches. So <laughs> so where so where in the blue hell is she hiding all these time bombs and these little she, she manifests them. Yeah, okay. I think. <laughs> well well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's my no price. Um Domino then attacks Feral with her boobs. <laughs> you, you see this picture, right? Bam! She, she's running at her with her boobs, and it's it's insane. But it works. It, it does work. Uh, but but Farrell's feet do get the better of the exchange. Farrell's feet do beat Domino's boobs. It's like rock paper scissors. <laughs> then Shatterstar. Oh. Yes, sir. Oh, no boy, Shatterstar. Oh no, man has 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 more well spoken battle verbiage than this oh. man. Uh, he stands over Pharaoh while soliloquizing about how killing is what he is. You wanna you wanna read us a few? You wanna hum us a few bars of Shatterstar? <laughs> I certainly would. This is excellent. <laughs> he goes. Uh, she, uh, because she knows Domino, she knows as well as I do, war is a game, of that there is no doubt, but not one to be played for fun, it is a game to be played for victory and honor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate this guy. (laughs) And then he goes, he, he basically turns to her and he goes, uh, uh, he goes basically, you say you want to play with me? Oh, God. This is we are two of a kind, girl. Both <laughs> warriors who have fought to survive our entire lives. Fighting is what you do. Killing is what I am. <laughs> oh, it's yes. brutal. You can so see brutal. you can see Rob Liefeld just loving this stuff. He's got a big stain <laughs> on the front of his pants right in this. <laughs> <laughs> It's insane. Good thing they're button fly. Um, now, <laughs> Shatterstar and Feral face off. Uh, Feral is distracted by the absolute baloney coming out of Shatterstar's mouth. So she's like, what? And during that, Sam Cannonball plows right into her and he smashes her into a tree. And uh, Feral reacts, you know, calmly by uh, disemboweling Sam Guthrie. Yeah, that was uh, that was a bit of a weird thing there. But yeah, boy, Cable snaps. Yeah, and Cable's having no more of that shit. No, 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 because they, they, you know, they, they make it very clear in the in the narration that you know she actually ripped his guts out. We don't see that in the art, of course. Um, it doesn't. It looks like just a flesh wound, if even that. Oh yeah, um, it looks pretty looks pretty mild, but he. It looks uh, very our, dry. Our boy yeah. is suffering. He sure is, and uh, as you mentioned, your Cable, he realizes that things have gotten a little bit too much out of hand. And then he blasts Feral with his big ass gun. <laughs> I think wrong. I think he sort of hits her with like a potato. It's like a potato <laughs> gun where he just goes foom, foom. <laughs> yeah. Actually he hits her twice. He does. <laughs> she gets potatoed, knocked out, and Cable has to pick her pick her dead ass up off the ground as well. Now we, we get to the end of the issue here and we shift scenes back over to the World Trade Center. And we got Black Tom and his assistant, Ariana. They've set up an interdimensional locator and teleporter atop one of the towers, and it basically looks like a giant box. Yeah. One thing about this, though, as we're going through this, um, there's a drastic decline in the art on these pages. 
Yes. Like something something is way off here. It's like gotten loose. It's like his Sharpie broke and he had to use one of those thick ones or something. Or, like, You're right. There is a – yeah, it's different here. Is, did he have his two inkers on this one or something? Because there's something that's really, really off with the final pages of this book. Like the art style is looser. It's You know what it is? I think it's one of Liefeld's trademarks that – you know, he deadline, does, doom. The dreaded deadline, and he rushed these pages like a mofo because you could Absolutely. tell uh, they are really, really super rushed. Yeah, because like it doesn't even look like uh, like it doesn't even look like body parts are like completely attached here. It looks like Black Tom and Ariana are wearing wigs. They look like bald headed people that he just drew hair on really fast. <laughs> like you know, you know, you know when he, you when you had your uh, how to draw comics the Marvel way, and they were like certainly. showing you how to do a sketch. That's basically all this is. It's an outline with some with some hair on it. It's a little bit of detail, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Black Tom, he's up there uh, waiting for this box to open because he wants to see his old friend's pug ugly face. And uh, we'll find out whose face that is very soon. Uh, we do jump back to X-Force and uh, Sam, he seems no worse for wear. His belly's all bandaged up, but he's looking pretty good. He doesn't he look is. like he's uh, he doesn't look like he's hurting there. Why, That's going why, to be. Why is Domino wearing like her workout gear? She looks like she literally stepped off Flashdance or something. She's, she's like, yeah, she's jazzercising. Yeah. yeah she it's, got her jazzercise Very here. strange. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this uh, big you know hole in Sam's gut will be a very short-lived and confusing story that we'll get to eventually. Um, now, we do wrap up back at the World Trade Center where Black Tom's machine starts to glow. And then suddenly from the teleporter box emerges, guess who? The Juggernaut. So who do you draw? What villain do you draw? When you really don't have a great art style, like in detail and all that stuff, and you just want to do a quick villain, it's the Juggernaut. Yes. Every, every, you know what? I haven't seen very many people screw up the Juggernaut. It's that default character that pretty well every artist seems to do well. Sure. And Liefeld draw, you know, he knocks this one at the park. I love his Juggernaut. You know, mm-hmm. he's got. He's got great teeth, you know. He does the eyes properly, and for anyone who draws proportions, Juggernaut is one of those characters that is always out of proportion. So, sure. what a more perfect artist to do it, but <laughs> than uh, Rob Liefeld. But Absolutely. boy, how huge is the Juggernaut? Oh, he he's massive. Like, he's like three stories high over Black Tom here. He, he looks like he's gonna pop. <laughs> he, he is he is bulge and huge. Yes. He's been taking his Ico Pro. He has been. You gotta want it. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're finally to the issue of the month here, the October 1991 cover dated X Force number three. Boy. Now this one's called Battle Cry. Um, let's see here: Rob on words and picks, Fabe on words and whining, Chris <laughs> El- Eliopoulos on letters and fluffy hair. So I guess he's responsible for all the blo- broccoli florets we're about to see. That's um, exactly what it is. <laughs> they were making fun of Robbie. Didn't even realize it, probably. Um, now, Joe Roses does the color art and brings the sunshine. Bob Harris edits and Kenny Rogers is. <laughs> I don't know how you Kenny Rogers, but uh, Bob Harris did it. Um, Tom DeFalco bosses and sit ups. So I, I don't believe that last part. I don't think he does sit ups. Um, nope. Now, cover price $1 USA, $1.25 Canada, and 65p in the UK. You want to pick I us up? I don't even know what 65p means. It's like a crappy currency. Sounds heavy. It does, yeah. It's 65p. 
<laughs> oh, is that a lot? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Five P20. Yeah. <laughs> it's now day three of the standoff, and we're at the World Trade Center again. And we open with Siren, probably mm-hmm. one of the most, you know, one of the most iconic Liefeldian poses right out of the gate. Liefeld seems to do like the the jumping towards the screen, you know, with the arms out type yeah, of thing. Big time. Like very, very, very well. And he does it with everybody. And of course, Siren is not spared here. So, uh, you know, she's she's in her full banshee glory here. And, uh, you know, it, it's there anyway. Yeah. She's got a she's got a, a very uh, how can I say this wide gap betwixt her legs and it looks like she uh, she has a rather full head of hair like all the uh, life L characters seem to mm. do and it you know she has this giant mane like instead of the little like you said the broccoli florets this yeah. girl is all about the hair I mean she's got three tons of hair sitting on top of her I, head. she must have the worst headache I, I'm telling you. <laughs> her hair almost seems sentient. I mean, it does. It does. It's almost like Rob messed her up on the uh, messed up on her face and just had to like grab extra hair and just wrap it all around her. I don't know what was going on. It's insane. But anyway, yeah. anywho, uh, Siren gets pummeled by the Juggernaut and keeps coming back for more. I mean, she's just not you know she's not going to stand down from this big douchebag, but she's getting <laughs> tossed all over God's creation. Uh, anyway, keeps coming back for more punishment and finally, finally. She's shot in the gut by her uncle, Black Tom Cassidy. Can you get away with even naming a character Black Tom right now? <laughs> I don't think so. That sounds <laughs> that sounds like a little bit insensitive. The sound effect here is really weird too. It's like shikat, shikat, shikat. I love it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we see Terry recovers and uh, but has second thoughts about hopping back into the fray. Lucky for her. The Calvary's about to arrive, and the X-Force aircraft floats overhead. This time inside, we see Cable and Domino, and uh, the former is wearing armor that is some insanely strange armor. I think that's mm. the only way we could uh, we can really put it. Oh, how brutal. would you how, how would you describe the armor? It's like it's like a silver plate, but it looks kind of like it's been equipped with like insect mandibles, like yes. going toward his mouth. It's really it odd. Like, why did he change his clothes? <laughs> they they weren't a, making the action figures yet. Why? Why are they? It, it's it's bad. It looks like he's wearing stripes armor, kind of. Yeah, it looks like stripes armor without all the extra parts and spikes. Yeah, but with so maybe, but with mandibles. <laughs> with mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he do. He looks. He's got. It's insect like, is what we'll yeah. say. It's almost like I don't know. Really, really odd. Anyway. Meanwhile, inside one of the Twin Towers, we see good old Sunspot and his good buddy, Gideon. Mm-hmm. And they're looking on at everything that's going on. Now, Bobby's getting a little bit frustrated that they haven't been able to make their move yet. Meanwhile, Black uh, Black Tom and the Juggernaut enter the scene. They're, <laughs> they look a little bit, I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> off-register. <laughs> and man, again, these scenes, Chris, I don't know what it is. But they're mm-hmm. really, really sketchy. Like everything yeah. about it, they're incomplete. They're not colored properly. They're really, really off, and it stands out in the book. You could tell that these scenes were were done separately from the main book. Yeah, like you could tell sure. the Black Tom scenes and all those stuff were done after the fact because every part of the equation here is missing. Like yeah. the depth of color, and it's just super light. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> he refers to uh, good old Black Tom. Uh, he refers to Gideon as Pansy Boy. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Gideon might have some of the most awful taste in hairstyles, but, you know, I guess fashion, his fashion game is not terrible. I mean, it's no. not a terrible, terrible, you know, garb he has on here. He's, he's well put together. He's a, you know, he looks like he came from downtown Detroit. He's ready to yeah. go, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can see this whole untucked red vest over the uh, over the button-up shirt actually looking pretty good in the real world, I think, if you ask sure. me. I wouldn't mind. I'd, I'd wear it to work, 100%. Absolutely. I think, though, uh, to, to really spaz it up, though, you got to go no shoes. I don't know about you. Yes, the no shoes <laughs> and the uh, and the, the weird half-bald head with the, uh, the Hulk Hogan and the <laughs> top knot. That'd be perfect. <laughs> Perfect for somebody. <laughs> anyway, back outside, you get to see Siren, and she enters the X-Force scout ship. And, of course, she's greeted by Cable and his massive blockly foreheads. <laughs> I mean, this hair is just... You know what it looks like? It looks like if you're underwater and you see like, <laughs> yes. plankton flowing in like in the water, it's just it sort of flows like that. It's really, really strange. Now, Cable... You know, he's always trying to recruit people, so he suggests that they work together, if she's in the mood, to kick the crud out of something. Does anyone actually talk like that? Seriously. I don't think so. Hey, would you like to kick the crud out of something? <laughs> so, Heck yeah! Heck yeah! <laughs> Let's do it! X-Force forever! <laughs> anyway, they hover for a bit more, and they just, they devise a game plan, which amounts to sending the biggest guy hurtling towards the other biggest guy in the book. So mm-hmm. you get to see Warpath hop out of the scout and plummets towards the juggernaut. And, you know, it's it's that battle role you definitely want to see. You know what I mean? Sure. But, boy, is he way, way out of proportion as well. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, he has, all of a sudden, he has gigantic hair. How many butts all, does he have? Oh, my God. this He's just... He's got several holy, butts. He's got... All over the place. He's like when you see him flying down. Number one, he looks like a square block. Like he doesn't even have a form anymore. And he's got one, two. He's got four butts. He does. Oh my god! Like it's there's proportion out of proportion, and then there's this stuff. I mean, he is wow, way way out of back. And he oh, says totally. the name is James Proudstar or Warpath, and yours is Mud. Yeah, it's it's Ooh, nice they get to uh, they get to have this banter in a free fall, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of words to say as you're plummeting a man that size plummeting out of the scout ship onto Juggernaut, and he gets yep. to say all that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> he must be really talking fast. My name be. is James Proudstar. Warpath. Oh, your name is Mod. <laughs> anyway, uh, James Conks into Kane and uh, sending them both tumbling off the top of the tower. So, yeah, and this is a different Kane. This is Kane yeah. Marco, not Garrison Kane. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you want to pick us up to right here now? You want to talk about the X Force coming to Certainly. the rest? Now the rest of the team they have to, you know, they have to join. So the the rest of them jump out of the scout ship and they're headed for Black Tom's guards. I didn't know he had guards, but he has a fleet of them. And uh, this definitely feels like it might be overkill, and we soon find out that it exactly is that. Uh, these human guards are absolutely no match for the mutants here i mean they took out the mutant liberation front in like five seconds of course they're going to take out these geeks easily um, now back inside black tom he, it looks like he stretches he's like Ugh. it looks like very refreshed like he's just gotten out of bed he's like in the middle of a yawn but he, <laughs> he does. he's actually pontificating he's actually you know uh, he's just in mid flourish amid some pontification here um now finally 
Gideon has realized he's had enough of whatever Tom has to say, and uh, he decides it's time for him and Bobby to just rush the guy. Uh, Gideon winds up getting blasted by Black Tom's boomstick, and then Bobby, he gets a couple of shots in, but winds up getting his butt handed to him as well. So uh, Black Tom, despite looking goofy and ridiculous, and and somehow his... uh, his blue outfit from last issue is now purple and doesn't have a symbol on the chest. Well, I guess it is day three. Maybe he changed, but, uh, it, 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 <laughs> it's true. He's got, he's got like an entire new suit. The shillelagh has dropped the little spotted dots it had on it as well. It uh, it looks like Gideon who, uh, all of a sudden is not wearing any socks with the shoes and looks exactly <laughs> like, uh, the spaz that I thought he was. I mean, Attention to detail is not Mr. Liefeld's strength. No, and, not here. Oh, but you know what I think happened here? I think mm. those 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 scenes with Black Tom were so rushed originally uh, that it looks looks like they got their act together here. So you see the inking is back on track here. The colors are more vibrant. It's got a less sketchy look. So it looks like he's putting more work into it, but he clearly didn't look at the first two issues he drew. Yeah, yeah, these were not these these bits probably weren't turned in at the eleventh hour like the other ones probably oh, were. Oh boy! But uh, you know, it's like Tom is just handling business here. I don't know why he even bothered calling the juggernaut. It's like you don't need another guy if you're no. if you can beat these guys up. What's the point? Well, think about it though. He's he's beating up Gideon. Is that really <laughs> is that really a a mark on the old bedpost? I don't think probably so. Probably not. Probably not. Now, uh, Tom doesn't get too long to celebrate his victory because Cable barges in and shoots Tom in the side. Like, like he, it, that seems unsportsmanly, like unheroic, right? And Cable's gun has transformed again several <laughs> times. And he's got a giant leg thigh. Like, it is massive. What is with that? What is uh, with this outfit? I, I just don't, uh, I don't know. I'd like to have Rob Liefeld here and just ask him, Rob, what in the fudge were you doing? It, like, you know, I, it, I can't even, it looks like a hot air balloon being shoved into a, uh, into like a, a silver funnel. That's his leg. <laughs> That's exactly right. It doesn't even look connected to it. It looks it, like a fig. It's one yeah. of those action figures that, you know, they've got the little ball point that keeps it connected yes. to the actual action figure. That's what it looks like. But, oh, oh man, it, just it, dreadful. It's, this is probably Cable's worst. Well, it might be too soon to say that, but this looks like it might be Cable's worst look ever. I I don't know how it could get any worse than that. This and he's going he's going full dirty Harry here too. Dead oh, or alive, no. the choice is yours. Yes, he is very very out front with his threats, but uh, like, where do you think Cable keeps this armor? <laughs> oh, Does man. this fit in a closet? Man, he he's a... got he's got to have a storage unit for that. Oh man it's oh god it's just so bad maybe but, he uh, knew he was fighting the juggernaut and he needed a juggernaut sized costume to wear he might have this is his hulkbuster armor right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> right maybe, listen maybe rob was onto something before the mcu was it's possible it's maybe he's possible. the creator of the uh the, the cable buster uh, uniform here <laughs> the jug buster <laughs> that doesn't sound good um now Back outside, Proud Star and Juggernaut, they continue punching one another, you know. And uh, we can see here that uh, Kane, Marco here, is holding a detonator. And uh, we might assume that he's been holding it the entire time, right? Of but course you got to have a detonator. All good bad guys have the detonator. Didn't he just take a header off the World Trade Center? 
and he he managed not to crush this this detonator, this tiny little you know candy sized detonator in his hand. He he managed to <laughs> not destroy it. So there you go. Now this detonator has three buttons. What would the first two actually do? <laughs> one one is blow stuff up. The other one is blow more stuff up and really blow stuff up. I don't know. And if you notice here on that picture of the detonator, there's like this little triangle, like yeah. going into the detonator, like that's a, that's like a flat color. Like yes, it looks like yeah. they put something over it. It looks like it was patched up, doesn't it? Because even like the panel border is no longer black there. It's white. That's really odd. Yeah, it looks like they patched over maybe like a like a bubble or something. Maybe they said something offensive or maybe they just said something that didn't make sense. Yeah, somebody yeah. scrambled. Somebody scrambled at the last minute to do some corrections there. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's very. Now it's all I can see. I didn't notice it until now, but now it's all I can see. <laughs> but uh, now the big guys they continue to beat one another upon the head and shoulders. When who should appear but the Amazing Spider-Man? Oh, and, uh, Spidey swings through the scene, and then rather than get be- get in between, you know, a proverbial rock and a hard place, he decides that he'll head topside in order to check out. The hostage situation. But then, boom, there's an explosion in the Twin Towers. What a cheap, what a cheap explosion in the Twin Towers. Boy, that's relevant. But but you've got Spidey, and I mean, Mm -hmm. Liefeld clearly cannot draw Spider-Man. It is painfully bad. Even, Even the way he swings on his web. I know he's... Trying to summon, you know, uh, McFarland. McFarland yeah. But man, he looks like he's sitting on a toilet. It doesn't <laughs> look like he's swinging. Like, you take a look at the, the first panel when he first flies in. His pose is awkward, but you know, you could you could get away with it. And he's trying to do the McFarling threading, and he's failing miserably. Yeah. It just looks like his webbing is going to fall apart, and it looks like a series of coiled chain or something. It does. But, it does. But then he swings overhead, uh, Warpath and Juggernaut fighting, and it literally looks like he's sitting on the toilet. But that first panel where he's swooping in, speaking of toilets here, the way his legs look, it looks like <laughs> like a toilet seat, like looks, like one of those yeah. public toilet seats with like nothing in the middle. <laughs> looks like he's pinching off a friendly, my friend. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But um, to be, then it's to be continued in Spider-Man number 16. Oh, mm-hmm. God. So we're going to get the unholy alliance of Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld next time. The just the sheer pencil work is enough to cause the destruction of man in that one. There's going to be so many scratch lines. It's man. Yeah, we we, we should get started now because there's so many. But uh, (laughs) those are the books that are notable because we're going to have to turn them on their sides to read them. Man, I can't wait for that issue. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, I actually had a good time with this, actually, to be quite honest with you. 100 percent. So. You know, despite all the, you know, you can make fun of Rob Liefeld's art all day long, but I have an appreciation for it because at least Same it's thing. comic book art. For sure. It's it's not photorealistic stuff. I'm not a big photorealistic guy. I like to have my comic books, you know, with comic book art inside sure. with bright primary colors, the way I used to love them. You know what I mean? Panel breaking stuff and all that stuff. Not some sanitized, computer-generated, widescreen. Yeah. Wide I, I just don't want to see something that looks like a movie still. No, you know what I mean? Not. Absolutely. And this is definitely not a movie still. Nobody's going to, you know, mistake any of Liefeld's characters for anything that is physically alive. That's for no, sure. No, certainly not. Um, 
a, a few takeaways here. Uh, there's been a hostage situation at the World Trade Center for three days. Yep. Last I checked, the World Trade Center was in Manhattan, the home of almost every Marvel superhero. Absolutely. Where are they? I don't think even anybody knows in this book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one 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 minute they're in Quebec and they're you know they're they say they're in Canada. They uh, dude who knows where in the blue hell these people are. Oh man, it's wild. And uh, I mean, it, it, we almost have to bring up the very strange uh, you know terror at the Twin Towers. Though. That's uh, yeah. I mean that's prescient, prescient in a couple of ways because you know there was that bomb that exploded there in 1993, two years after this. Um, this is this is uh, this hitting close to home here on this one. Very very weird, isn't it? Uh, it's one of those things that I wonder if they reprinted this, if they would like like change the name of the building or just not name the building or something. Just uh, seems like something that you know Marvel might do. Uh, uh, you know, we we can look at like that. Uh, what was that? There was a scene in the Spider-Man movie where he like spun a web between the twin towers and they had to take it out. Yeah. Um, I, I it's, wonder just, if, it's, it's just a path you don't need to go down these days, you know what I mean? You yeah. just just it's better off avoiding it or renaming it something else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or just don't even address what building it it is. It, it doesn't. It, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which building. No, it, it serves it serves right. zero purpose other than to indicate that it's you know a a novel a building. building. That's about yeah. yeah that's exactly. About it. But uh, we do have a a letters page here, and uh, oh my god, imagine yeah. this book this book gets a letters page, people. It does, it does, and it starts with an editorial box, um, which is basically the editor's way of being very lazy. They say, uh, our premiere issue seems to have broken world- several records in the comics industry. Not only is it the top-selling book of all time, a record we're really proud of, but the response from our readers has been equally record-breaking. The mighty Marvel mailroom is bursting with your comments from X-Force number one. We think it's safe to say we have a hit here. So this month, as well as next... We're going to present your thoughts and critiques on our maiden voyage without comment. Lazy. But before <laughs> we go, we suggest you go out and purchase the debut of our sister title, X-Men, and be part of yet another record breaker. Boy, they weren't kidding. They that, were one, that, that one sold a, a book or two. I think it might. Do you want to read the first letter from Yoda? Oh, my God. Just said, I've just finished reading Numero Uno of X Force, <laughs> and, and the only this is not real. They're cre- clearly creating this. The only thing I could say through the whole thing was, "No way! Oh my! Cool! Gun! Holy! Whoa!" Etc. Background. Gun. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> There's no way anyone wrote that. The backgrounds are just right and not too cluttered. And not too cluttered is right. Sometimes there's literally no background. Not too cluttered is uh, is an easy way of saying that. And not too generic looking. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Clearly nobody's known. The page layout is cinematic. What? Is, did he even read this book? <laughs> I think Cable's have a party is going to replace Arnie's I'll be back in some circles. Uh, guess what? <laughs> I don't <laughs> not think a, so. Not a chance. Anyway, oh. he gives this issue a 9.667 out of 10. If this guy could uh, could round up, he'd you know he'd fit right in there with current year with a current year reviewer for sure. 100%. Good lord. Oh. Letter yeah. two comes from uh, from from Benjamin. Yes. What does what does he say? 
Well, we're just pulling little snippets here, and he does say, I've always compared Cable to Magneto. And uh, a little bit later on in this episode, we're going to find out that Benjamin's not alone in this. Oh, my God. Yes. He should be alone in this. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, letter three comes from Mike, and he says, The only problem I had with this issue was Cable's stopping of Feral from killing. I'm not a bloodthirsty person, but I thought the whole purpose of X-Force was to get the bad guys first. Which He's is not true. wrong. That, that was supposed to be the entire mandate. Yeah, that was the whole thing. They didn't. The, Professor X was too passive and let problems come to his doorstep. Cable and X Force were going to take the fight to the bad guys, and uh, that's what made this team and the uh, and and its mission different than the other X books, which yep. was novel and it, and it stuck for like I think I think it ends after the next couple issues. It's not not, uh, not very long. Crazy. Um, now, one thing about the, the letters pages from Marvel, uh, they have a uh, the writers have a way of ending their missives with a silly little statement that ends with "Make mine Marvel." Do you wanna Do you wanna read the the few we got here? It says, "Until Pharaoh switches the decaf, make mine Marvel." Ooh. Or how about, "Until Beast uses bikini wax, make mine Marvel." That's gross. But of course, then there's the coup de gras. The main event until Wolverine <laughs> wins a annual Elvis lookalike contest. Make mine Marvel. Oy. Yeah, man. Yeah. These, do these guys think they're funny? Like, is this? Uh, <laughs> it's not. I'll tell you what. It's, it's, it's just not funny. All right. No, I'm not no. laughing. I'm more embarrassed than anything. It's cringe. <laughs> yeah, it's pure yeah. cringe here. And then if you picture things like beast using bikini wax we apologize if we put that thought into your head uh, i don't even if, if you're thinking about that number one you're weird all <laughs> <laughs> right and so I, I guess what i would say is that anyone who thinks any of these are funny are idiots make my marvel <laughs> until we get a legit laugh out of one of these make ours marvel um 100%. but the last thing we're gonna do and uh it's weird. We're covering all books with an October 1991 cover date here. And uh, there was something that the uh, Marvel books used to run in the bullpen bulletins called the Coolometer. And uh, a little bit later on this episode, we're going to be looking at the August Coolometer. But here, in a book published the same month, we have the September Coolometer. So we've got two Coolometers in one episode. They said it couldn't Ooh. be done. And uh, <laughs> now... Since this segment comes first, I'll, we'll lay out what the coolometer is. This is a stupid little <laughs> thermometer where the Marvel bullpen ranks what they find to be cool, and uh, they spit in the face of things that are <laughs> uncool. And uh, I, I figure this is probably the uh, the editor in cheese uh, himself, and maybe Bob Harris, and uh, maybe Terry Cavanaugh, uh, you know, having a having a laugh here, but. Uh, now, the coolest thing in September of 1991, the coolest thing, Julia Roberts. Uh, think about this. Now, you're back in 1991. You know, mm -hmm. you're you're hot on the heels of Pretty Woman and all that type of stuff. And she was she was a huge star and she mm -hmm. she's still pretty well a huge star right now. So sure. this is somewhat still relevant. Hmm. Okay. Although she's transitioned from Julia Roberts, the uh, the incredibly good looking hooker. To Julia Roberts, the uh, swaddling motherly type figure right now, we'll say. I would say, yes. Yeah. Um, the next coolest thing is The Adventures of Captain America. 
Not a chance. Nobody. <laughs> there's never. There's never been a point in time outside of Winter Soldier when Cap was cool, especially not in the early '90s. Sorry. Pass. <laughs> liars. The next coolest thing is the Fox Network. Oh my God! With WWE SmackDown on Fox. <laughs> oh, wait, not back then though. No, no. I think they're probably talking about what, like maybe Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah. Uh, Married with Children. I don't know. Yeah, it was. Listen. Fox Fox back then was one of these – I wouldn't say an upstart network, but, you know, it had these things that were just a little bit slightly off the cuff. Almost like it was. outlaw, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was It was like treading the line. It was the attitude era of TV Punk that rock. Fox was playing. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. So it was kind of cool, and it was kind of cool that Fox – Fox revolutionized a lot of things we do in TV, actually. So sure. I'll, I'll agree with that. It was cool back then. Fox was definitely Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. The next coolest thing are Dinks. <laughs> that stands for uh, double income or dual income, no kids. Oh, I don't know about that. I agree with that. <laughs> it, it, it seems offensive. It seems offensive to say to call someone a dink, though. I wouldn't want to. If I it's called true. you a, you and your wife dinks, I think you'd be somewhat offended when you until you realize what it meant. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Now, you know there are some very weird things in these coolometers here. Um, now, the next coolest thing under dual income, no kids, is child TV stars in prison. That's cool. Now, who's the first person you think of as a child star in prison? I'll tell you who. Well, the head. world don't move. Yes, Tom Bridges, <laughs> right at the slammer. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Willis was in jail for a long time. And even his sister, Dana, a little bit later on, ended up, uh, you know, toying with the cops as well. So, I mean... Different strokes had, man, a lot of problems, and Todd Bridges was was that child star <laughs> that everyone pointed to when they said, boy, you know, child actors, boy, they're nothing but trouble. Oh, nope, sure. Todd Bridges. Mm-hmm. Is he still in jail, or is he out? <laughs> no, he, I think he's in jail. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Prove me wrong, Todd, yes. if you're listening. Uh, the next coolest thing, Paula Abdul. Oh. Oh, my. Can I tell you a story? And it's not a good one. You can edit this if you wish. <laughs> okay. okay. So, Paula Abdul, I really, 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 really loved her music back in the day. I mean, I, I like late 80s, early 90s Paula, but there was one video, and it was called Promise of a New Day, mm-hmm. where she's dancing under a waterfall and stuff like that. Okay. Chris, a number of my white socks went missing. <laughs> Move on. Was there a giant cartoon cat in that one? <laughs> no. Oh. oh. <laughs> that was opposites of tracks, fool. Yes. Promise of a New Day is a whole different experience, baby. <laughs> well, every, we are every, looking for a theme song for this show. so uh. every, every, every time I think of Paul Abdul, I go, yeah, play it again, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the next coolest thing, you know, not not quite as cool as Paula Abdul, bananas. Hmm. I, may I don't like gained, bananas. I may have gained a banana looking at Paula. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of bananas. No. No. So, so I knew a guy I worked with, uh, worked with, his name was Ben and mm-hmm. he was from, um, oh my God, I, I don't want to slander where he's from. So I, I'll just say he, he was not of us soil. We'll say. Okay. okay. So anyway, from his country where he came from, he, uh, liked to eat bananas in a particularly odd way. And guess what that was? Did he open them upside down? He ate the peel and all. Ew. Yes. Now I don't know if you've ever tasted a little taste of banana peel, but it's no. not the most uh, enjoyable thing. It has a real sharp dagger-like taste when you put it in his mouth. Ooh. 
And uh, his, his meals used to consist of that dried seaweed stuff. Okay. And, and a whole banana. The only thing that he would cut off was like the little the, the top part of the stock at the top. Wow. And that was it. And he would eat the entire thing peel on. Ooh. Yes, sir. And I watched it numerous times going, oh, my God. <laughs> now, I don't I don't like anything about bananas. I don't like the taste. I don't like the texture. Um, not good stuff for me. Uh, not my favorite. Oh, I like them. I, I love them. I think they're delicious. They're delicious in smoothies. They're just delicious cut up over uh, cereal. They're just delicious, Chris. You're missing out. You're you're missing out, brother. I gotta I tell your I gotta tell your wife to get you some bananas. <laughs> no, something that's just a little less cool than bananas is diplomatic immunity. Mm. What is what was going on back in '91 that diplomatic immunity was a big thing? I don't know. I don't. I'm like this isn't Oliver North. Um, how how old was how far back was Ollie North? I think that was uh like '87 ish. So what would diplomatic immunity mean in Nelson 91- Mandela, maybe? Ooh, I don't know. Mandela effect evading the show. <laughs> if our uh, if any of our listeners can yes. point out to what diplomatic immunity meant back in '91, by all means, fill me in. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Now, just a little less cool than diplomatic immunity is motorcycles. Oh yeah, you got a motor. Take a ride on the back of my motorcycle, baby. <laughs> I mean I- that 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 is the ultimate douchebag machine, isn't it? <laughs> Like, like, like I'm, I'm a guy, like I've got, I've got four kids, man. And I drive a minivan. Okay. I drive mm-hmm. a crappy minivan that's beaten to death by shopping carts back and forth to work. <laughs> and, uh, and then I look at these guys who are riding on a, like a motorcycle that they have no business being on. And, uh, this is what they go back and forth in, but you know what? They're only cool in good weather. So, you know what? In Arizona, you might be able to get away with it. Sure. In Newfoundland, where, uh, you know, hell comes to Frogtown 95% of the time, <laughs> you should not be driving a motorcycle in Newfoundland. We do not have smooth roads. We have the weather that changes every five minutes. It might be four seasons in one by the time you get to work. And these <laughs> douchebags think that they can still ride the motorcycle. Yeah, look how cool I am driving in the rain and the hail and the <laughs> snow all in one day. They got to justify the payment, right? I- can't make the payment if it just sits in the garage. Uh, <laughs> I think at this point, we actually tip the scales. We're at like the middle of the thermometer here, and we're going to start looking at things that are uncool. So the least uncool thing of September 1991 was uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Ooh, that's a pretty sharp dagger-like throw at the uh, the thing. But I got to agree. I, I, was, was not a fan, I was not a fan of Tiny Toon Adventures. I'm a Looney Tunes guy, 100%. But that was on Fox, so I know. What are they? Weird here. What it's a, what it's a, almost almost slanderous. Yeah. What a uh, what a what a dissonance in their uh, in their coolometer. Now um, wasn't there wasn't there a Tiny Toon Adventures comic book? Oh, there almost had to have been. So who published that? That's a good question. I don't know. I got to do some gaggling here while we're yeah. rummaging yeah. through that. Yeah, you you do that, and I will keep going with uh, the next. You know, something a little less cool than Tiny Adventures, Tiny Toon Adventures, is Marrying Millionaires. Oh, now who would that be put against? Who's who's that? Who's, uh, who's Marrying Millionaires? Nicole Smith was oh, she... married that old guy. Oh, and yeah. and I mean, not even old. I mean, this guy was, he was like a fossil. He, like he was he was dead four times over. <laughs> he was a fossil, yeah. <laughs> yes, man. He was he was like skin on bone. He was like a weekend. At, I think he was actually dead and was like a like a weekend at Bernie's type of deal. <laughs> Guarantee oh. man he was bad just imagine like they get think about what you would do for money 
and think it th- <laughs> and think about doing that. And what do you think? Well, I think Meatloaf said it best, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Indeed, um, you're right. I would not do that either. Speaking of Meatloaf, though, the next uncool thing on this list, 70s rock groups. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to agree. I was a 80s slash 90s rock type of guy. And, I mean, you had the... Uh, I don't know how to describe 70s rock. It's just this... Uh, when you think about cool music, 70s really never, ever pops up on my set list. I don't know about you when I'm doing a... Unless unless you're on a yacht. I'm a, I'm a fan <laughs> of some yacht rock, yeah. Y- yacht rock. <laughs> uh, I, oh, can, I can oh. do some Christopher Cross. Anything with Michael McDonald is great. <laughs> oh, brutal. Okay, <laughs> T- Tiny Toon Adventures was actually Marvel, so they're slandering their own product. How about that? Ooh, maybe, maybe they lost the license. It was almost like in a magazine format, but it was done by Marvel. So there you go. Weird. How about that? Hmm. Very weird. Now, um, a little bit less cool than the uh, than the rock groups is uh, toner, total lunar eclipses. Every time someone says something about a an eclipse, I've always think of uh, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart mm-hmm. and uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Turn around. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, Little Shop. Oh, gross. Stop. <laughs> oh. You always that always comes out of nowhere when you mention that, you know, I always think of Rick Moranis and how much I love that guy in Canadian television. And then you remind me of Little Shop of Horrors and my (laughs) passion for him goes right down the toilet. Suddenly Seymour. Um, (laughs) You know, they're thinking about remaking that. Why would they do that? I don't know. Like maybe Rick Moranis will come out of retirement and like do a good version of it. I don't know. Horrible. (laughs) Horrible. No, uh, something that's a little less cool than a uh, total lunar eclipses is Marvel fanfare. Oh man, they are burying their own stuff. I gotta agree. I I couldn't stand Marvel fanfare. Uh, it was crap. Yeah. It always seemed like Kazar would pop up there all the time in the Savage <laughs> World. I don't know what that says about those properties. Not great. Um, less cool than Marvel fanfare is country and western music. Ooh. I I I can't call myself a country fan. I and, and especially back to back in the day, because 90s, you know, the the popularity of country music back then had not hit. I think it was Billy Ray Cyrus that would actually change country music when he came in with Achy Breaky Heart. But Probably. but uh, boy, was country music dead in the water at that point. I mean, nobody wanted grumpy old Johnny Cash and, you know, like the old fossils of country. Yeah. Oh, my God. And who was the, who was that guy that ended up naked out in the parking lot? Oh, um, Randy, Tra- Randy <laughs> Travis. <laughs> I'm not joking. Just just look up Randy Travis naked in parking lot, and, and it's there. I'll have to turn off my safe search. Uh, <laughs> um, but now, on uh, the other hand, anyway. Now less cool than country music is the disco duck himself, Rick Dees. Ooh, I love Rick Dees. You know, I, th- I, th- I think I, when I started when I started doing radio, I do commercials for my uh, for my business and all sure. that stuff that. That I do, and I, I and I always wanted to do radio like Rick D's, and I think the first couple times that I that I did commercials, I think the people in the studio were like, "Who is this idiot trying to do Rick?" <laughs> Hi, it's Rick D's, and I'm playing the top forty, and everyone's, you know, everyone's got their radio voice. But man, he used to do two to three hours of that, and I don't know how we, how you find it, but it's exhausting to speak like that for three hours. Oh, dude, we did a uh, we did that Teen Titans um, number twelve uh, treadmill. Where I did Wolfman Jack's voice 
for because uh, it was they had that radio DJ in it, and the whole time I'm like, yeah, dry cat kittens. It was like, it was, <laughs> oh man, it was brutal, and that was only like an hour. So yeah, I'm doing like the hey, it's a uh, hey, what's 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 shaking, kids? And I couldn't do that for <laughs> what's shaking, kids? How old are we? We're we're fossils. We are. Hey, we're we're, hey, we're almost in on Nicole Smith's uh, radar. <laughs> uh, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny I won't though. Don't do that. <laughs> just, I just learned uh, that Rick Dees, when he had his talk show, he had his uh, late night talk show for a little bit, and uh, one of the people that performed on it was Marvel's own Nightcat. What? Who the hell is Nightcat? You don't remember Nightcat, the Marvel music um, comic? No, I do not. What do you speak of, young man? Oh, I think uh, we might have to add something to a future Moratory Monday. (laughs) Oh, Um, oui, oui. Nightcat is something else. Uh, I think uh, you pop that into your Google machine and uh, you'll probably recognize it. Okay. yeah, she. They actually did a whole album for this uh, for this Nightcat character. Um, our our good friend uh, Hoju uh, Adam told uh, told me about this that ah. uh, that she was on uh, Rick Dees' show and uh, he's trying to track down footage of it but can't find it. So uh, if well, anybody listen, out there listening, listen, if if no if if Hoju can't find it, it can't be found. Is all I'll tell you. Probably not findable. Yes, but uh, <laughs> if anybody has it on a VHS tape somewhere in a basement or in an attic. You know, get that get that stuff online for us here. Uh, now, uh, a little bit less cool than Mr. Rick D's is lip syncing. Ooh, uh, Millie Vanilli, well, right? Oh man, don't talk about Millie Vanilli in slanderous terms. I love Millie Vanilli. I'm not even joking. I like people and people in my age were listening to GNR. They were into Metallica, and I secretly had two tapes that I wouldn't tell anybody about. And one was <laughs> Millie Vanilli. Not even the real stuff. It was the remix album. Oh you might boy! Say, you might say the remix album. What does that sound like? Well, it was all full of like like full of edited cuts of their you know, there are three or four songs that they have. So it'd be like, like blame it on the rain would be blame it on the rain, 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 blame it on the stars. That's, that's, it shines that's how they were found out too. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they played the remix album. They and they the got all, everyone got album. confused. <laughs> Man, I love Millie Vanilli. I don't care. I don't even care. So what was that other tape you had? Okay. You ready? <laughs> Whoa, whoa, just oh. hanging tough. New kids on the block. Oh, did, did, did so you uh, you you uh, knew the steps. You know all the steps then, right? Step one, you have, we'll lots, have of lots of fun. Step, Step two, two, it's just me and you. <laughs> My wife hates it. When I do that. <laughs> step three, three. Oh, we're we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do step by step one of these times. I'm one of the. Uh, I'm telling you right now. I think so. <laughs> if, any, if, if any of our Claremont to Claremont uh, guest stars would like to join us in a, a stirring rendition of Step by Step. <laughs> oh, we're all over it. Uh, no, I, I, I want, um, what's the one we'll have lots of fun? Step one? Step one is we'll have lots of fun. We'll have lots of fun. <laughs> was that Danny Woods? I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe it was the one that looked like John Travolta. I don't know. <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> Everyone had the... Uh, what? Anyway. Where? Uh, <laughs> oh, now just under Millie Vanilli or, or lip syncing uh, is a uh, goatees. Goatees are not cool, according no, to Mark. No, goatees were not cool, but they thought back in the late 80s that pencil thin porn stashes 
We're cool. <laughs> so I take a goatee over that any time of the year. Every day, yes. Um, now, uh, going back to Paula Abdul, the next uncool thing. Yes, I was going to say, I found my tools. I found my tube socks. Tube socks <laughs> are uncool. And I think we just found out why they're uncool. So uh, we could probably just move on. Why are um, they hard? <laughs> <laughs> the next uncool thing is a flea markets. Oh, I disagree. Hoju would freak if someone said that the flea markets were uncool. Yeah, no, What's that's What's wrong with these people. That's where you find buried treasure. That's where I got my uh, $6 million man figure. That's where I got my Aquaman superpowers figure. People needs a the, whoever wrote this needs a beaten. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it might be Tom DeFalco. <laughs> <laughs> he hit kickers. <laughs> The next, uh, the third uncoolest thing of the month is Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, sacrilege. You people, listen, go put on Lost Boys and shut your mouth. Kiefer Sutherland what do you think, is God. What was he doing in 91, you think? Was was that Lost Boys or was that in the late 80s? No, that was late 80s. Okay, so I wonder so, what he was doing. He must have been doing stupid stuff like uh, Flatliners. Okay. Now, uh, the second most uncool thing in September of 1991 is bowling. Yeah, can't disagree. I, okay. I I enjoy I enjoy bowling, but it's, it's Everyone's something. Again. Yeah, but it just seems like very antiquated. It's one of those things that you did as a kid and growing up. It's something that maybe I would get my kids to do, and they look at it like, oh, dad, what are we doing in this stupid place? Why are we going to this place that smells bad? It's it stinks, and the balls <laughs> are all weird, and I don't know. Some bowling alleys you go to and they have like their state of the art, like they got digital the lasers and yeah, lasers and they have all kinds like the music is throbbing in the whole thing and the ball racks come out. It's really, really cool. And then you've got these old ones where, you know, they have trenches in the uh, in the alleys and mm. they've got like this weird smell of like Steve Ditko and onions. It's really. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you ready for the most uncool thing in September oh, I 1991? Wait. I can't wait. Hit it. Hit me up with it. The metric system. That's pretty crappy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was definitely not on the bottom of my list, but I'll go with it. Sure, why not? Mar- you know, the, the Marvel coolometer is right. You know, it, it stopped clocking. A Marvel coolometer is right twice a day. I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, there's one more. I think it's right at the very bottom. Is Tom Ooh. DeFalco. I'm surprised they don't have like Jim Shooter at the bottom here. Oh man. <laughs> Just to be jerks. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that is uh the coolometer for September. We're gonna have two kilometers today, and uh you'll be able to hear because the metric system is on the August one too, but we can see how it moves because uh these things are trending. Um Ooh. these are living and breathing coolometers. It's uh it's a wild ride. But uh, I think uh, that's all we have for uh, the first three issues of X-Force, the first batch of uh, reader feedback, some very, very polite and very, very excited reader feedback. But uh, I, uh, they, they, I they weren't readers. Let's be honest. That's DeFalco <laughs> and his goons writing stuff. <laughs> it's DeFalco and Grunewald, uh, you know, in the uh, in the spare <laughs> office. <laughs> Can we get this stamped in another zip code? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. But uh, unless there's anything you want to add to this rambunctious segment, uh, I think well, that's about what we've got. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we got Spider-Man ready to kick it in Spider-Man number 16, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see where uh, X-Force goes from here. Absolutely. So thank you so, so much. You want to do some plugs before uh, we hop to the next segment? 
Why, certainly. Uh, you'll find me over on the, the Twitter machine, at Charlton underscore hero. You'll also find me and uh, the, the guy that I'm currently podcasting with right here, Mr. Chris Sheehan, over on Moratory Mondays, where we take a deep dive into Strike Force Moratory and a whole lot of other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if, if you're into uh, a little bit, little bit of a podcast that's slightly off the cuff, I think you might want to check that one out. Uh, as well, uh, we do Super Blog Team Up uh, four times a year. So uh, who knows when the next one will be? Uh, with uh, with the current uh, current political situation <laughs> or uh, real life situation, who knows what the next one will be? But uh, mm-hmm. we're looking forward to something real soon. So that's me. That is Chris Bailey, and we just had a blast here uh, talking X Force. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again so much for uh, for hanging out and uh, I'll send it over to the next segment. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutants 